1: Join me and my expert guests as we delve into the many facets of owning the business and how to become a good, caring business owner. Listen how making a difference in your community can attract all sorts of clientele, which in turn will build you a better business. Greetings of the day, my fellow listeners, and welcome to another edition of Building Better Businesses. I am your host. My name is Steve Eschbach. I currently own a business called Trans World Business Advisors of Naperville. I'm one of about six or seven Chicagoland Transworld owners, but Transworld Business Advisors is the largest and fastest growing business brokerage in the world. We have 220 offices located here in the U.S., as well as 15 other countries throughout the world. Uh, Our objective is, if you're a business owner, is to help you get to the next level of where your business plan would be. So whether it be to sell your business, to acquire another entity, Whatever it might be, we will assist you in terms of getting you, like I said, to the next level of your business operations. Uh, Building Better Businesses, a podcast series where we interview many circle of influence networking contacts who are going to share with you uh, their principles, their mantras, their success stories to enable you get to the next level that you all want to get to. I'm delighted to have today with me uh, the CEO and the founder of Balance Integration. And she is going to talk to us a little bit about the cultural aspect of successful leadership. And uh, I don't think I've had anyone like that just yet. So Tevis, I want to thank you for joining us today.
0: It's such a thrill to be here. Thank you so much, Steve.
1: Yeah, I look forward to this. You know, it's funny, I've done a number of these and there are many, many different titles that I never would have thought would have existed. And I think one of yours is the Chief Cultural Officer Is that correct?
0: (laughs) Well, the lovely thing about starting your own company is um, you very quickly figure out the more efficiently you can convey what you care about, the more people can self-select either into your orbit or out of your orbit. And um, so over the years, I've, um, I've been in business for almost 20 years. And over the years, I've learned to shift that title according to... What is the language being used in the business landscape? What what are the, the hot buttons that really my core competencies can be of use uh, for other people? How do I just engage about stuff we both might care about? And um, so, yeah, chief cultural officer has definitely been a lightning rod because it seems to be on the tip of everyone's tongue these days. Yeah.
1: No, I totally agree with you. So we're going to get into a little bit more of that down the road because um, I've been a business broker for six years and been involved for M&A for many, many years beyond that. And I have found that the relationship building aspect of running a business is critically more important. Oftentimes, it trumps the numerical and the quantifications required in a merger and acquisition transaction. But before we get into that, I want to talk a little bit about your background because I'd like to learn where you were born and raised, what kind of influence you had from your family, how mom and dad or anyone else in your family may have influenced where you are today. I cannot imagine you being a little youngster on a tricycle in your neighborhood, riding around, telling your friends, I am going to become a chief cultural officer when I grow up. So tell us a little bit of what, about your background and how that all played a part in where you are today. See, look at that. We are genuine, aren't we?
0: Oh, my God. I really love this because um, I do a Game Changer Chad series where I look for people who have crafted lives on their own terms. And my favorite question is, what did you most love to do as a child? And what did you think you were going to be? So I love it that you just served it straight up to me. So I was born in Athens, Georgia. And my dad was in the master's program in philosophy at the University of Georgia. All my family's from the Midwest, and he became acquainted with something that is now much more known at the time was fairly obscure and that was montessori which is a method of early childhood education and he fell in love with it and took us to italy so when i was 2 barely speaking english right i was immersed in an entirely new culture my mom was in the healthcare field she was a respiratory therapist both of my parents at the time were the first of either of their families to pursue um, higher education. And both of them went on to get advanced degrees. And they were the black sheep. They were the travelers. They were the rebels. They were the cultural savants, right? We um, never had a ton of money, but, but we always had a lot of ideas, a lot of curiosity, a lot of books, a lot of music, crazy food that 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 none of my friends had had Indian food on the table when they were five, the way I did. Um, so yes, I was really fortunate. Of course, at the time I hated it. I just wanted to have a Twinkie and a bologna sandwich on white bread. Right? Yep. <laughs> but we come into what we come into, and, and that's the music that we dance to over the course of our lives.
1: So early in your upbringing, were you ever thinking that you would be where you are today? Like uh, like when I was a youngster, I thought I'd be a major league baseball player. And of course, that went to the wayside pretty quickly. How about back when you were a child? Did you think you were going to be something other than where you are today? Did you have any mathematical interest? Do you have any theor- theatrical interest? Any writing interests? What, what was your... Oh
0: gosh, this is so yummy. We could really go to town on this. The first... Objective I remember having was I wanted to be Nadia Comaneci ah. because I think it was the 1976 Olympics came out and I was seven years old and I remember Nadia's theme and I remember just watching her and just her, her intensity and her focus and her grace really grabbed me. And um, you asked about theatrical, I grew up with a speech impediment. So the thought of me being on a mic in front of thousands of people, which of course I've gone on to do, that was the furthest thing from my mind ever. But it's funny because I think about the successive objectives I had had throughout my childhood. At one point, I wanted to be a race car driver because the adrenaline appealed to me. At one point, I wanted to be a war correspondent and travel to exciting areas. And yeah, it's a really great question because there have been a parade, I think, of uh, possibilities. And some of those dreams have actually presented themselves to me as potential realities and I've actually turned away from them. So you grow up and you learn, right? I wanted to be um, a spy and one of the agencies actually at one point reached out to me and, and I had to think about it and I said, so...
1: So it's interesting here, just based on your commentary that you gave just moments ago, I can see how your book, The Game Changers Guide to Radical Success came to be, because I sense that you've been exposed to a lot, you've reacted a lot, and I'm going to guess that there have been a couple of times where you might have stubbed your toe, may have said the wrong thing, may have done the wrong thing, but that certainly didn't stop you from where you are today and where you're going to go going forward, correct?
0: I think you really nailed it. I think if you're not stubbing your toe, if you're not taking a misstep, then chances are you're playing it too safe.
1: Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your business now. Are you a solopreneur? Do you have a team that works with you? How do you engage with your clients? Is it uh, just you? I have a
0: team. I've got two right-hand people, and then we outsource everything else that We need, including our core corporate functions, we have an attorney that has been with us, we have an IP person who's separate, we have our CPA, we've got all that stuff outsourced, our tech support, our design team, our social media team. All of that is outsourced, but our core team is three of us. And the beauty is that that's allowed us to keep our overhead low. It's also allowed us to pivot our business a lot more quickly. Um, So in the world of corporate culture and how you serve, it can be very flavor of the month. Um, in terms of what people are looking for. And rather than entrench ourselves with X, Y, or Z technology or platform or approach, we've really been able to keep a keen eye on the landscape and be an agnostic provider of insight and guidance to our clients, according to what we feel like is really going to be best for them to solve the problems they're most attuned to, whatever the pain point is that is most impeding their growth or their goals. So that's been fun because because um, I'm a learner. I'm curious by nature. I want to know everything about everything And that really serves my clients well, because when they ask me my opinion, I'm not beholden to some kind of sunk capital um, investment or some kind of agreement that would keep me from being able to be objective and courting to serve them.
1: So what are the common items that you have come across uh, with your existing clients and then your prospective new clients? What are you looking for? Because you have a specialty. Obviously, it's the cultural uh, interaction and behavior of uh, leadership teams. So what when you're meeting with a brand new client, what are you looking for in terms of being able to offer your expertise to assist them to be better at what they're doing?
0: What I'm going to say is going to be fairly consistent no matter what you do, and that is is whoever is sitting across from me or on the phone with me or across the screen from me, do they have a problem that they are aware of, right? <laughs> what problems are they not aware of? And are there things I can do to help them solve Those problems, like like it's very 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 straightforward. I can talk to a CEO of any size company, and if they don't perceive a problem, it doesn't matter that I do. That's kind of beside the point because it's kind of like saying saying oh, um, nice new car, but what about the gas mileage? If they don't care about the gas mileage, then there's no conversation to be had. So in general, it really starts with a meeting of the minds around what are your values? And then how are those values being successfully expressed or not?
1: You know, it's funny you make the comment that what problems do you have that you're aware of? And what problems do you have that you're not aware of? And having been involved in a number of mergers and acquisitions, many, many times. There are some situations where the owner or the CEO or the leader doesn't even recognize that there is a problem. So what kind of reactions do you get from some of the clients that you meet that say, oh, I didn't know about that, or I don't think that's so. How does that go over?
0: Well, I have to tell you, the most interesting part of these conversations is when you are brought in to address a specific uh, pain point. Let's say right now, we're in August of twenty twenty one, and there has been a dance, kind of a compass spinning of do we make everyone come back to the office? Do we continue remote work? Do we take a hybrid approach, et cetera, et cetera. Now, a lot of clients um, are trying to make a call on this, and they think that, The issue is getting people back into the office, and that they have such a fabulous culture. If they could just get people back into the office, that everything would be fine. The creativity would go back up, the collaboration would go back up, the retention would go back up, the ability to recruit would go back, like everything would be better. But when you ask them, Oh, okay, so you have a great culture. How do you define a great culture? a lot of them can't even answer that they don't really have a concrete sense of what has made this a place worth coming into the office for and when you ask that question they say oh well we have uh, benefits right we we have we have gatherings we have parties we we say that you can go to the gym when you need to go to the gym and what they don't understand is that culture is shared values. Culture is how do we treat each other? Culture is do we ask each other about each other's childhoods? Culture is do we care about the human being across from us, right? And that is the kind of thing that is so easy to bring alive. It's astoundingly easy to bring alive, principally when it's coming from from the top, top right? But the cost of not doing it is astounding because we're watching routinely across organizations of all sizes that throughout whatever growth they may have experienced over the lockdown, et cetera, there's a 50% attrition rate of the folks they've spent hard money and invested a lot of hopes and expectations in them producing. So that kind of conversation is really the type of thing that it's like you know you have a problem but the problem that you actually have is actually different from the problem you think you have. And it's just meeting people where they are. I think that's what all of us do is we meet people where they are even if we may see that where we're going to end up, maybe someplace else, you always have to meet people where they
1: are. Right. Do you have experience in your practice of dealing with two entities that combine to form a new one? And that cultural uh, melding, if you will, because oh, yeah. if- I had that in my last corporate environment, I was the, uh, the end result of a, a Chicago-based company merging with a smaller city-based company, and the cultural alignment took the better part of more than a year. We're talking about billion-dollar companies, not small mom and pops, yeah. if you will. And yeah. that's a issue. And I think I think engaging with them is critically important because, a, you got to realize what the new entity is like, and b, how you can both coexist and be successful going forward. Is there anything you can add to that? Did I cover it?
0: I think you you said that really well. And it's funny. I was talking to Liz Cole, who was the CHRO for Mercer, Marsh McLennan. I think she has since moved on. But um, she and I had a conversation because they were growing through a lot of acquisition and acquiring smaller players who had avidly sold against not being MMM, right? Not being those guys. And what is interesting is when we would talk about the cultural question and I'd say, oh, so, so you're bringing in the heads of these agencies you've acquired and you're all coming in, and you're, you're doing the kumbaya, right? Because that's what we think we have to do. Oh, we'll have a kumbaya and it'll be over. And I say, well, Liz, how's it going? And she said, oh, fabulous. They all nod their heads. Um. Heads nodding. If people are not pushing back and kicking and screaming, you're in trouble because it means they're paying lip service and they're sitting back and going, oh, yeah, culture change. Well, I really hope Steve gets his ass handed to him because he's always been a jerk. And maybe now maybe now someone's going to hold him accountable because none of us want to think that we have to do the hard work of change ourselves because we're all enlightened right <laughs> so so i think you nailed it really 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 beautifully and my invitation because all of us are about efficiency right my invitation is go slow so you can all move fast when it comes to culture go slow slow down just enough parcel out time block out as an executive team the c suite yes If you are not involved in this, you are pissing away precious money. If you think that you can outsource this to a chief cultural officer, a chief people officer, a chief experience officer, or whatever euphemism you want to call it, to someone you're basically giving your human experience issues to, i.e. your people problems to, if you think that you can just give them all these problems and headaches and a budget and tell them to spend it, and that's all you're going to have to do, then you are not only setting them up for failure, you are eroding the trust of your people because they're going to see a bunch of programs trotted out that you have not been involved in and you don't believe in, essentially. And uh, you're kind of setting yourself back instead of moving forward. So slow down, parcel out some hours per month that everyone in the C-suite is going to put in to upskilling and to actually growing. And um, do that and set some goals and make sure that you're putting some KPIs around the behavioral shifts that are being expected, because otherwise, kumbaya, my Lord, kumbaya, it really is not going to move anything.
1: Oh, it's funny. Uh, I heard some key buzzwords that for an accounting and finance professional like myself uh, rings a bell like accountability and KPIs, which, of course, is key performance indicators. And most people would think that those are terms related to numbers and measurements of things that you can count. But it's also some things that you really can't grab very well, and that is the emotional, the interactive, and the cultural Part of the organization. You have to measure that in some way, shape, or form. And granted, they may not be, you know, hard cash, it might not be revenues, it might not be cost of goods sold, but there are certain ways that you have to stay on top of that so that it doesn't get out of hand. Am I right about that?
0: Oh my God. It's so fascinating. We talk to a lot of companies across a lot of spaces and the number of people who have come to me and confessed that their cultural surveys are showing an astronomical number of employees have not had a one-on-one with their manager in the past month. Culture? Oh, we have gym memberships. Uh. Culture? Right. What are you talking about? So, so, and the other thing that I want to drive home is that if you haven't adopted a KPI or OKR, there's all kinds of euphemism. If you haven't decided as an organization, what are the one or two things we're really going to focus on this year, right? So that all your functional areas can organize what they're going to do to move the needle on those one or two things, then this is really a great moment for you to get on it because if you do not tell people what to organize themselves around, they will end up having to organize themselves in a vacuum and play mind reader. And last I checked, that's not a really widespread skill, right? But the other thing that you said about, okay, KPIs, things you can measure like like sales calls, right? Like like market share, like uh, profitability, like reduction of cost of goods sold, all those things. The way that you bring culture into these measurable actions is you spell out with absolute specificity. If you are a manager, you are expected to blah, blah, blah. And whether it's meet with, you know, so such level X times a month, et cetera. So you may have to put tactical language on what is actually about authenticity, right? Right. But if you can get at it tactically then you can start to see cause and effect between the tactical expression of what is really a strategic investment of time.
1: Right. Absolutely. You know, it's critically important. And, um, I think what you're saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that while it might not be that easy to grab, you have to at least go through the motion. So if you're not having one-on-ones like you said, well, then you start having one-on-one. Well, if the one-on-ones are not having the success in the direction you want to go, then you change the one-on-one. You don't change the frequency. You don't reduce them. Maybe you do increase them. But the fact of the matter is if you haven't had any, then that's one key area that you got to change. And then if they start having them and they're not producing anything, then you got to change the way you do that. I think you talked about the tactical way of approaching that. So yeah, that's yeah. so interesting. You know, one of the comments I have here, there's many interview topics in your interview valet, which I love that term, by the way, interview <laughs> valet. But you talk about forget employee engagement, focus on executive alignment instead. I think what you've been saying all along has been that. Is there anything there that we may have missed that kind of drives that point home?
0: Yeah, a couple things I feel like is really important to bear in mind, specifically as a business owner. The most powerful way for you to engage employees is to make them feel seen, to make them feel heard, and to welcome their contributions, right? Okay. That sounds really like sandbox um, simple right? Meanwhile, a lot of us have grown up being exposed to command and control approaches to being a manager, right? And whether it's been conscious, right, that we've literally been told, well, you can't give people that much input. You can't give people, they just have to do what you tell them. Like some of us have heard those overt messages. Some of us, maybe hear a lot of the, the more collaborative and humanistic approaches to leading, or maybe we, you know, see a TED talk or we read a Jim Collins book or we whatever. And we all again nod our heads, right? The question I would challenge anyone who runs a business to do is whatever your instinct is around being a great leader and motivating, I challenge you to boil that down into actions. How are you going to bring that into your next staff meeting? And then how are you going to challenge your staff to bring it alive in their next staff meeting? Because until we really catalyze this from the top, it's all just a bunch of nice ideas. And I'm, I love the nice ideas and I'm just sick to death of them not becoming actions.
1: Yeah, you're so right. You know, um, I do a lot of public speaking and I quote a lot of leaders who have said profound things. But one of the things that stands out in my mind was the quote from Steve Jobs, who said, we don't hire people and tell them what to do. We hire smart people so they can tell us what to do. And I think that goes to your point, that contribution and the value that they can bring, no matter what level they are in the organization, is critically important. And then the other thing that you mentioned, too, taking action. Actions certainly speak louder than words, for sure. So we are out of time, unfortunately. I know we covered a lot. There's probably so much more we could cover. Is there anything you or we may not have covered during our question and answer session that you want to resonate with this audience?
0: I think the most important thing that we can do is truly deeply value ourselves and understand that what we do as leaders has a ripple out effect beyond our wildest imagination. I feel that as I've seen in the course of the firefighting, the managing, the dealing with the board, the dealing with investors, the exploring of opportunities it's really easy to forget what we might know as parents and that is that every single thing we do
1: has a ripple out effect and it forms an impression oh definitely yeah
0: value Uh, yourself
1: absolutely so last but not least where can we go find out more about you how can we find you on the world wide web
0: I am all over the place. I am on LinkedIn, both as my company, which is Balance Integration, as well as uh, Tevis Trower. You can catch me on Instagram and Facebook under the same, as well as on Twitter. I run an ongoing series called The Game Changer Chats, in which I look for people who have crafted lives of their own design and how they do it and, and create radically successful lives. And last but not least, we are offering a free chapter to my book, The Game Changers Guide to Radical Success, which there will be a link in your show notes to access that free chapter. So um, I'd love to share that with you. And if anyone is interested in working with me, please get in touch.
1: That is so great. Thank you so much for sharing your insights. They were powerful. They were enlightening, some of which I knew, but I'd kind of forgotten about. So I appreciate you sharing that with us. Audience, thank you for listening in. And I would take her up on her offer. Just reach out and see if she might be able to help you get to your next level. Thank you very much and have a good rest of the day. The Building Better Business Podcast is the best place to learn how to take your business to the next level. It's no longer enough to earn good profits. You need to develop a network of connections as well as use all types of marketing to your advantage that will put you over the edge. Hosted by me, Steve Eschbach, a financial executive with decades of experience in dealing with businesses and business people, we'll learn how this all comes together. Join me and my expert guests as we delve into the many facets of owning the business and how to become a good, caring business owner. Listen how making a difference in your community can attract all sorts of clientele, which in turn will build you a better business.